is my request You don't have to play it But I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio And you seem like a friend to me Party to hop off for 8 o'clock at the Greater 3UZ Sammy Show for Friday night. Okay, the time is 22 before 9, 12.72 SM with Ian Macrae in the morning. For AP and Kevin Hillier, Sunday morning, out for a couple of showers later today and a top of 25. Well, it's 27 past 12 right now. This is Laurie Bennett at 2SM. At 24 to 8 with Peter Grayson, town at the moment 17 degrees. Howdy, hi, Victoria. Stand the man. Hello. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It's generally our 40 minutes or so where we get to speak to the people behind the voices who've been friends to a whole generation, but today it's just going to be a little bit longer. Four capital cities, just as many music formats and twice as many character voices. From Melbourne to Brisbane, then Perth, followed by Adelaide, then back to Perth, that's the radio journey of Bernie Britton. Hey, Bernie Britton, welcome to Pilots, and thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Paul. Thank you. Now, a teenager growing up in the 70s, attending Aquinas College in Melbourne, how would you describe yourself? A bookworm, sports nut, high achiever, or just good average? Oh, below average. Um, Pretty average. I left school in 1978 at 14 and nine months. So I, I I completed third form at Aquinas College, but I don't think I passed it, Paul. I don't remember, but I don't think I passed it. And so at the time it was run by Christian Brothers, uh, Brother O'Halloran called me into his office uh, and he said, oh, I understand that you want to uh, look at uh, doing radio, uh, Mr. Britton. And I said, oh, oh yes, uh, Brother, yes, I am interested in, uh, in this as well. Some of our students have... Uh, have left here and pursued media uh, duties and things of this nature. So, uh, you know, onward and upward and uh, all the best. And so he was giving me the lemonade and sass because I was not performing and they don't need unperformers or non-performers in their uh, ranks. So he more or less said uh, goodbye, you know. So I left uh, at that time. And um, uh, shortly after that, my father died in March of 79, my uncle came and visited me and took me for my first job when I was 15 to Bow Repairs in South Melbourne where I was a tyre fitter for a few months and I did I did various things uh, after school, but that wasn't your question, I hasten to add. No, that's fine. Good to have a little bit of context. So what were the posters on your bedroom walls during the 70s? Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And I think what I used to do, Paul, was get explosive hits. Remember the explosive hits series probably started in 73, maybe. Uh, and I'd get the album cover and I'd put that on the wall. So it just, you know, it had God, it had everybody on the Cliff Rich and all sorts of odd, odd artists all scattered in through there. And then I'd, you know, and, 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 and Ripper 76, which had the torn jean bum on it, up there on the wall. And I thought it would be very cool. I thought it was very cool because I'd put them skew if, 
you know, like just off centre, you know. But uh, my favourite was Pink Floyd because the P-I-N-K with, uh, and the F-L-O-Y-D with the with the pyramids and all that sort of stuff was fascinating to me and, and the whole band. They were all, like, so mysterious to me. So, yeah, I, I really uh, enjoyed Floyd in the days. What about your radio station of choice? Radio station of choice at the time was the Mighty 3XY. 100%. I mean, I, I, you know, everybody who was anybody was on there. Uh, my favourite was Peter Harrison, and Peter is a friend today, which is still astounding to me, and I still hear him speak, and I'm blown away. And he was such a big influence because he had a great edge. He's got a comedic edge. He drops lines all the time, and th- they're funny lines. I mean, he would... He would say, uh, say uh, 3XY, uh, hot in 3XY. And uh, I tell you, it's so windy in Melbourne today, I saw a Siamese twin looking for his brother, you know. <laughs> and, and, and he just, it was, you're so funny. And they were only one lines. They weren't like long-winded jokes. And Peter O'Callaghan over 3KZ, the late great, was always uh, like that as well. You'd, you'd, in an hour, Peter would produce, you know, four, five, six great little one-lines. And you just go, oh, geez, that's that's really clever, and that inspired me because I'm a bit silly and I like to do dumb stuff, and so I uh, I was I was inspired by that, and I, I thought that I, I will go on the radio one day, but I'd like to be just a little bit offsetter, you know, a little bit different. Okay, so here's a young teenager who loves his music, listens to the coolest radio station in town, and wants to be part of the action, and finds his first introduction into radio. A day in the life of 3AK is beautiful. At Beautiful Music 3AK. So how did that job come about and how satisfying was your time at a predominantly adult radio station? Oh, God. The best part about 3AK was it was in the Channel Channel 9 building, Paul, uh, at 22 Bendigo Street, Richmond, and I was the biggest fan of Hey Hey It's Saturday. And I arrived there when I was 17. The wonderful Bill Howie, the late, great Bill Howie, interviewed me. I acquired that job because I was mates with his son, Mark. And Mark said to me, oh, you want to get the radio? And, and he used to call Dad Billy. He said, Billy's looking for someone to work in the record library. And so I instantly, um, you know, said, yes, you know, put my hand up. I said, I'd love to. I'd love to. So I went for an interview in March of 81. Uh, Bill met me, met me at reception at Channel 9 and took me down to meet Rock Bond, who we lost recently too, to MS. Uh, very sad, beautiful lady and a very, very pretty lady too. I remember at the time she was 31 and I was 17 and I thought, oh, my God, she's going to be my boss, hubba hubba. So it was all just an incredible experience. But you walk down the hall of Channel 9 and you see all the pictures, the Pete Smith, the Peter Hickson, the Don Lane, the Bert Newton, the Graham Kennedy all these pictures everywhere, and it was mind-blowing to me. Um, so what was it like? It was fantastic. And behind the scenes, you know, they were they were big, long lunch people. They were number one in Melbourne. They had a lot of contra up so they could spend and spend and spend. And I never went to a restaurant as a kid. The first restaurant I ever went to was Vlaho's Steakhouse in Richmond, which is some renowned. It's still there today. Um, and it was all on contract. We got there at twelve thirty, and we got home. And we left there at a quarter to six. And I, I thought, "What the hell's going on? What, this has been fantastic. The greatest day of my life." Um, and so these things, and I'm still friends. Alan Pearsall's a great friend, and I'm still buddies with him, who was promotions at the time. And so uh, it it was fantastic. The music was like, oh, you know, it was very calm, very you know, 
you know, you had to do a one cat and dog, two cat and dog, three cat and dog before you fire the next song. There had to be silence. It was really, really special, beautifully programmed, uh, an American idea to beautiful music. And um, it, it, it was, uh, it, it really didn't reflect on me as a 17-year-old in that vein um, uh, because it was just such an easy environment to work in. They were, they were great people. These happy days are yours and mine. Seven will make you smile. Hit twelve sixty on the dial. We don't care where you are. Just pop along with three SR. These happy days are yours and mine. Twelve sixty three SR. These happy days are yours and mine. Twelve sixty three SR. So down to Lee Murray for some vocal fine-tuning and then off to Shepparton to 3SR for your first on-air gig. So what was your first impression of Shep when you got there and did you realise the big shoes you were filling on the roster? Right. Um, we lost Laurie Bennett and uh, I was I was uh, in, in the position to replace him. I had heard him on 3XY and I remember the Sun News Victoria with the story about the accident he had in the Jag on Studley Park Road. He had plates in his head. He was a unfortunate, you know, large alcohol consumption uh, consumer. And my my buddy Doug Bell, uh, still in touch with today, lives up near Bendigo. He was the engineer, and he and Laurie lived together. Um, and uh, it 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 was quite it was quite daunting. I also arrived there when Harry Wilde was there. That's a huge. I was like nineteen, and this he was about thirty, and I think. Uh, Big introduction into that side of radio. You know, there was booze and smoking the pot and all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, and 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 Harry cutting deals all around town and you know getting a deal for a car and getting a deal for that. He he would do live ads for this joint, and that joint, get furniture for his house. And so yeah, he he was uh, quite an influence um, at that time. But yes, it was a it was a big undertaking. It was a big undertaking, and I was really nervous. And it was a, it was, it's very difficult when you first go on air, particularly back then, because you've got a turntable left and right, and you've really got, you, you, you don't have the luxury we have today where you can pre record six hours of show and wander around the building like you, you know, you, you're king of the world. You had to be back in the studio after, say, say, say three minutes and 54 seconds, or you'd be in trouble. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was daunting, but. Um, I really loved my time in Shepparton on reflection. At the time, stressful. <laughs> now, you're up there with a couple of well-known radio names in Steve Woods and Glenn Holmes, just to name a few. Now, one of the interesting aspects of some country appointments is the sharing of accommodation with some of the other jocks. A bit like a school dormitory with no teacher supervision, if you know what I mean. Was that the case with you and Shep? Not for me. I was a very lucky boy. My friend Ian Chambers, late great Ian, was very good friends with Warren and Jenny Chesser. And Warren and Jenny had a dairy farm on 100 acres in Kungupna, about, it was uh, 12 k's north of Shep um, and off Kungupna East Road. And it was magnificent. I, I didn't even realise, I didn't know how lovely it would be to live on a farm, but it was so peaceful and lovely. And, uh, you know, you wake up in the morning to be a cow right at the window going... I, I couldn't believe it. It was fabulous. So he let me ride his ag bike around everywhere and all sort of stuff. So I did not have to go through that uh, process of having to live with uh, pretty much anybody 
in that time. I moved from there after about 18 months and then moved into a place in McDonald Street in Chip all by my little self. Three years in the country and then the capital city appointment at the once all-conquering 3UZ, which at the time I dare say was going through a bit of an identity crisis. What was the format when you arrived there? It was Melbourne's great country, 3UZ. In fact, it was 3UZ country when I arrived, which was the which was what it was called. And Rod Stone would rename it when he arrived. Now, when I got there, uh, Nick Irby and Pete Johns were running it. And I don't know about Pete. I know that Irby's uh, still with us uh, and does the country music jamboree still, I believe. And so they had already invited me down previously to ask me to do breakfast there, and I'd failed to get that, and it went to Harry Wilde, incredibly, who went down to 3UZ. And then I arrived to do mid-dawns, five mid-dawns a week. And um, I can tell you a quick little story about that, if I may. Uh, Pete and Nick were there. Um, I arrived at the station to do my 4pm production in the afternoon with, with the great Jeff Thomas. He and I are still great buddies, Tomo. And I walked down the hall and the late, great guy doing these, these deceased people, late, great Kevin John stuck his head out of the jock room. He said, mate, 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 come, come, come. And he goes, Irby and John's have been sacked. And I've gone, what? And then I looked at him and went, you funny bastard, I know what you're up to. And then I walked out and Irby and John's were packing their boxes and they're packing stuff in their boxes. And it was like, oh, my God. And they sat down, gave me a pep talk or whatever, and, and they were gone. So Rod Stone replaced them. Uh, it became Melbourne's great country. Um, it was a much firmer format and a, and a much more sophisticated format, a little 3KZ-ish in sophistication and consistency. So Rod did do a sterling job, and I think we would have made it if we'd hung out a little bit longer. Um, but just, just quickly, uh, one week to the day, uh, the delightful um, Alan McClellan was the general manager, and we had a booze up for him for his 60th birthday. And I was doing mid-dawn, so I arrived at about 10 o'clock and I got on the, you know, and had a, a sip and then carried on and had some sandwiches and you know, wished him well and off they went and I, you know, well, they kept going, actually. They kept going until about 3 a.m. And I went on air and did my show. And then the following day I came in to do production and KJ, I'm walking down, it's a one week to the day and KJ stuck his head out of the jock and mate, 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 come here, come here, come here. Max dead. And I went, what? No. Is this another... You come on, mate. This isn't funny. That's not funny. Max dead. Come on. I walked out. Traffic girl was crying. People were crying. Uh, Rod Tremaine, who was the accountant, had bundled, uh, you know, a fairly drunk uh, uh, Alan into the car uh, at, uh, at Elizabeth Street and Flemington Road there. And, and at two o'clock in the morning, Alan grabbed his chest. And Rod, McC uh, Rod, uh, uh, Rod Tremaine said to me, I looked across the intersection. And there was an ambulance incredibly stopped at the lights, the only other two cars around. So he said, I crossed the intersection and blocked the ambulance and they came and they couldn't bring him back and he was gone. So I had extraordinary entry into Melbourne Radio in 86 when those two events occurred because I had not heard of PDs being sacked before. I didn't think that was a thing. But then, of course, the general manager dies and it, it was an incredible moment. So that is my entry into Melbourne three years in at that time. And a hell of an introduction to that. Did you get the sense at the time that the station was unsure as to where they fitted into the Melbourne broadcasting landscape? Rod Stone was surer than uh, Nick and Pete, but 
it was unstable, but it was semi-successful and it was starting to kick in. And, you know, I interviewed Kathy Mateo, you know, rock, uh, uh, sort of rock, uh, country rock artist like that. Well, she's essentially country. And uh, Steve Earle and uh, people of that nation, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, I interviewed them. Uh, and, and these are artists. Uh, Barbara Mandrell came out to Australia and John Deeks was telling me that he'd interviewed her in, um, in 86. Uh, and so... There, there was some activity. There was some support for these artists. They came out on promotional tours, whether they actually did shows or not, I can't recall. Um, but it seemed to gather momentum, Paul. It seemed to have some nuts on it. And I actually believed that it was going to work. And I didn't dislike the music. My friend John Tam and I still talk about songs that we listen to now that are the result of that country period, you know. And so it... it it actually was, you know, Ronnie Millsap and people like that. And Ronnie Millsap I spoke to, I interviewed over the phone. Um, and so, yes, it, it, it had balls. And, I mean, I, I had left by the time it all went away, but uh, we'd moved from Berkeley Street up to Elizabeth Street at that time. And uh, and so after that, I went over to 3AK. Indeed. And another format change, this time to light music 3AK, with the likes of Alan Pearsall, Ken Lane, Chris Elliott, and of course, Alan Dale, presenting love songs and requests for lovers on a Saturday night. Another station trying to find where it fitted in? Uh, definitely. Look, I did production, and I knew Alan Dale. I did production at 3AK. I was production manager there when I was 19, coming from the record library into production. Um, and, you know, um, Alan was a delightful guy. Uh, and uh, and I, I remember all those kinds of uh, stars at that time too that, that, that popped in and out of the, of the radio station and did little bits for us and stuff. But, yeah, look, it was a, it was a grasper. Again, it wasn't handled by unprofessional people. Peter Sinclair was the boss. Uh, Alan Pearson, as you mentioned, he was uh, running promotions. Um, and then Steve Woods took over promotions, that's right. And um, and Ed Breslin, who I, you know, regarded very highly, uh, worked with him at two stations. And these guys were sophisticates in that they'd come from, you know, high-end, high-rating Sydney stations, 2WS and the like. Uh, 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 Peter had his history at 6KY and all over the country, 2SM. Um, and so, uh, you know... I had a lot of confidence it was going to go off and I got a lot of good feedback about it, but it was handled by a guy called Ian Gow via Channel 9 Management who just decided, oh, let's blow that up. We don't want to do that anymore. And he blew up beautiful music and then he blew this up, I believe, from memory. Um, and then they wanted to go for the 2UE uh, cross-pollination format and boy, oh boy, did that suck. That really took the wind out of it because I remember still driving on King's Way one day listening to Don Lane talking about how beautiful the Sydney Harbour Bridge looks this morning. Yes, the old packet-driven commercial broadcasting corporation experiment that tried and failed to attract listeners with its two-city approach. What was the morale like at the station when people were hearing things like the Don Lane quote that you just gave then? Um, It wasn't high. It wasn't high. And and there was, you know, this was the Alan Bond ownership period. Nigel Milan. Nigel was a lovely bloke, actually. Uh, I never met Bondy. Um, but everyone sort of thought, oh, we're, on the, we're, we're really hanging on here. We had a lot of negative press about it. We had a lot of negative phone calls about it uh, because it sounded like a Sydney station in Melbourne. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I recall everyone being pretty dark on it. Talk is an experiment until it's right. Uh, 
I guess AW has always had it and people that have tried to take a slice out of AW have failed necessarily in Melbourne. But when you try and drag in a Sydney uh, format with it, I did breakfast there with Ernie Sigley and Trish Mitchell, who had come from Fox. She'd worked with Barry Bissell. She's just a delightful, delightful girl. And we had a lovely time. The two of us had a great time. Ernie and I didn't get along, and he uh, he wasn't a pleasant guy. He, 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 he was an angry young man, uh, older gentleman. And, um, you know, so that didn't help. And you would, I, I'd go home from that shift and, or I'd go and report to the PD, oh, my God, he called me this, he called me that, and he threw something at me and all sort of shit while we were on air. And, and uh, Ed would say, oh, mate, um, I'll go and have a word to, uh, to Ernie and uh, I'll give you a call later. And Ed would call me at home in the afternoon. He said, mate, I've spoken with Eddie. I've spoken with, uh, with, with, with Ernie. And, and Ernie said, oh, look, everything will be fine. He, he sounded fine to me, Bern. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be an issue. But, but Ernie could smooth it all out and make it all sound so lovely when it really wasn't. So... That was tough. That was tough. And I was keen to look for other work. Fast forwarding through three stations in three capital cities in three years, including an introduction to FM radio along the way, and working with formats that I assume you are more comfortable with. Firstly, 4BK in Brisbane. How did that come about? That is Ed Breslin. Uh, straight up and down, Ed was the PD at 3OK. And uh, he said, uh, you know, mate, uh, I'm going to go up to uh, Brisbane. And so he uh, he said, I'm going to drag you up there to do do mornings. Um, and that came about that way. I was uh, super keen because it was good times and classic hits, I think, from memory. And uh, it was a it was a good, solid, you know, because we had we had Holger Brockman doing the voiceovers, you know, all that stuff. And it, it had a, a really great sound and it sounded a bit like Fox on AM. Um, only just a little older with the music and uh, and Ian Skip and Jamie Dunn. When I first got there, I did the breakfast show with Ian Skippen for about two months because Jamie wasn't available yet. And then Jamie came over with the puppet, uh, Agro, and uh, Donna Lynch was there as well. And Donna and I are still mates and Skippo and I are still mates. And I still kind of speak with Jamie a little bit. He's a little uh, hard to connect with these days. Um, but I really... I really loved the time there. Um, I learned a lot. I never lived out of the state before. I was very, you know, reluctant to go because I was nervous about it um, and it was stinking hot and I didn't enjoy the humidity of Brisbane very much at all. And nobody, I repeat, nobody had an air conditioner in their house. You know, I went to rent a place. They'd say, no, mate, you've got ceiling fans. You'll be all right. I'm like, oh, God, you guys have no idea. So... But apart from that, uh, it was great. It was a, it was a really uh, it, was, it was a good place to work. Still in touch with a bunch of people from there, um, and I shared a house with Paul Dutton, who we lost to cancer in two thousand when he was in his early forties, um, and he was a magic magic promotions guy. Uh, I still remember the day that the receptionist said, "Everyone, come down to the garage, please, and let's go and, and we'll greet Paul Dutton's got a big surprise for us." And we all walked in the garage and five, count them, five Nissan Pathfinders, all decked out Black Thunder style, drove in, all had phones in them and all this sort of stuff. And I was blown away. I thought, this is the future. This is how you do it. We're all over Brisbane. There's, you know, when we were chasing FM 104 and FM 104 was just slipping down a little bit and 4BK was creeping up and we're on our way to that B105 position, um, Paul, Paul uh, Dutton arranged, bought the sides. He did this as part of a promotion. Good times and great rock and roll. Good times and classic hits. 
for BK, he bought the sides of semi-trailers. And he paid the guys to do a drive around, which I think was Queen Street uh, in Brisbane, around FM 104 for two hours. Just, just going round and round and round in full sight of the PD to the point where the PD rang 4BKs and just cut the shit out. This is it's getting stupid. You guys are giving me the shits. It's enough. I got it, you know. But um, but I loved all that that guerrilla warfare kind of vibe that uh, came out of Osterio. Osterio was great at that. They had that uh, art of war vibe about them, you know, and uh, it was a very exciting time, very exciting time. The Eagle in Perth was an interesting one with Oz Stereo all geared up to snaffle one of the AM to FM conversions but subsequently missed out. Now, were you at the station when the best laid plans didn't become reality? Um, look, I uh, was and because Greg Smith came in one day into the studio and said, uh, well, you better get your Barbara Streisand records out. It's all over. I was like, what? He said, no, we missed out. But we missed out by... A very suspicious amount of money, Paul. We missed out by three thousand nine hundred ninety dollars. Now nine hundred ninety was the call sign of six pm, and to have known that we were at sixteen million, I think the price was we paid, uh, and to know that a packer-owned radio station over the road knew our figure and added three grand, which is, uh, and then you know, apparently the boss of uh, PMFM, this is all alleged, but apparently threw the 990 in for a bit of a, you know, um, made, made it very suspicious as to how the, the vetting, uh, the, the the application for said licence was was dealt with because they were supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be like um, um, bets, aren't they? They're supposed to be like um, uh, offers, you know, you put in an offer for it. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that was... That was a real bummer. That was a real bummer. But he said, uh, don't panic. We're sending you to, to Adelaide. So I was uh, only there for six months. Uh, and then uh, I, my SAFM gig came up. So although the stay was only 12 months in Perth at the time, did you make a mental note of the possibilities and the lifestyle in the city with the thought that maybe you might return someday? Yeah, 100%. I, I, look, I couldn't believe... How beautiful! In fact, here we are, and I'm in Gordon, Victoria. Uh, I can just quickly show you, you know, the the view outside. You know, this is our. We're on 25 acres up here, and it's absolutely beautiful, and I love it. But I miss Perth, and I'm a Melbourne boy. But I miss Perth, and a lot of my family, most of my family, lives uh, over in the west. And so, you know, I did in the back of my mind think, I'm going to come back here. I think this is a pretty damn good place. Um, and so, yes, I was. I was only at the Eagle there between January and June, and then I was off to SAFM Adelaide. Yes, indeed, seven years, in fact, in the city of churches on SAFM through what was a rather golden era for the station. So by this time, had you found your rightful place in Breakfast Radio, and was this the best slot for Bernie Britton's broadcasting skill set, do you think? Breakfast is. Um, at the time, I was a confused, in my 20s, a young man, I, uh, I, when I was 17, I got thyroid cancer uh, and I had failed to keep maintenance of that treatment post the cancer being cured. And so I was not taking thyroxin now, whether that means anything to your viewer or not. It, it, it's, it's the hormone supplement. So I basically went 10 years without taking this thyroid hormone supplement and I started to slow down. And I became jowly and kind of pale and 
people would regularly say, you okay? I'm like, yeah, tired, you know. And I didn't know. And, and finally, I went to a doctor. But the problem was I served up that attitude a little bit when I first got breakfast at uh, SAFM and it buggered it up for me. So they took me off it, uh, which is unfortunate. But I did, I did other shifts. And then I went back again and did breakfast again. But I was tuned to it. I'm better... I'm better off being the dickhead on the breakfast show than being the guy that's saying, oh, a great song, another great song, da, 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 you know. So I, um, I, I, really, I really am tuned better to do a breakfast show, yeah. Now, Bernie, we know that sometimes outsiders, especially Melburnians, can take a while to be accepted by the good folk of Adelaide. Was there anything in particular that you did to help you to endear yourself to your audience? Goodness me. Um, that's a great question. Um, I certainly partied hard. I I got married in 1991 and it was over by the middle of 92. And so my then wife that I'd met in Perth moved back and so I was a single man. And, you know, then the floodgates came open and, I mean, I was – I just had the time of my life. Sean Craig Murphy and I and Stephen Hooper, Hoops, would hang out, um, <clears throat> you know, most weekends – and, uh, you know, you wouldn't sleep for two days. You'd just party. And so I, I instilled myself in that way. Uh, and I got a lot, a lot, a lot of friends, which I'm still very close with now, um, uh, in, in uh, Adelaide. And it, even though it was a city that was kind of like, it was like a little country town that was, that was sophisticated, but it lacked that buzz that you get when you're in Melbourne or possibly Sydney, but certainly Melbourne. And so I was... I was a little resentful of it at times. But, you know, Paul, the culture of the station was what drove my full acceptance and my and, and, and I think Adelaide accepting me because it was such a great rock and roll station and because you had things like Friday night drinks and stuff like that and you had Paul Thompson, Greg Smith, Des DeKean, all these guys in the building all the time. And I was the renowned Paul Thompson impersonator so, you know, I would uh, make funny phone calls to people inside the building. I remember one time I rang Des DeKean. I was on air in the studio doing Arvos, and I had my friend Jane Peterson and I were in there, and I said, check this out, check this out. I just went direct line to to uh, to, to, to Des. I said, oh, Des, it's, uh, it's Paul Thompson. I uh, hmm, need to uh, talk to you about a couple of things going on in Brisbane. I, I think we need to get up there and just uh, have a bit of a look. I think Tim Sheed, who's the chief engineer, there's a couple of problems. He went, oh, okay, Paul. Well, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I could hear him going, he tried to get hold of uh, Kathy, who was his assistant, and uh, book a flight, you know. And so I said, yeah, there, there's some difficulties. And I think that uh, it'd be best if you, if you went up there and uh, had a bit of a chat and see what's, well, the lay of the land out there in, uh, in Brisbane. Mm. See, no worries, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I, I can get out to, what time, Kath, can I get out to that? Uh, I can get to four o'clock. I could probably get out of bed. That would be great. And, uh, yeah. And then I lost it. I just started to lose it. And he went, who the fuck is this? And I went, and he goes, Bernie, you <laughs> bastard. And he hung the phone up and he came running around the studio and he said, you son of a bitch. I had the flight booked. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a little old me. But, yes, I, I, I did love it. And we've had a couple of catch-ups in recent years because I lived in America for about 12 years, uh, Paul, mm. with my California wife. And so... When we got back in 2018, you know, I arranged a, a couple of um, uh, events over in per uh, over in Adelaide where, you know, everybody came together. We all we all met at a pub, and there was about 
40 of us and it was magnificent you know like that it's just like yesterday it's a, it, it, so i had the the loveliest memory that was the best time for me safm was the best time definitely too much fun so it's back to Perth via a short stop on the Gold Coast to spearhead the 92.9 Breakfast program, along with Jane Marwick and Gary Shannon, replacing the late Paul Redman. Fun times and very successful too in the ratings book. Oh, my God, they owned the town. And I, look, I was at the Gold Coast. I had, I had lunch with Greg Smith and Dave Charles. And Smith said to me, look, don't go to Perth. He said, Gary Shannon's the king of Perth. Um, you know, you'll never rise up through there, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I, and I sort of, I didn't really think that. I just thought, I don't really want to be king. I just want to go there and live there. I love the place. And he said, look, I'll get you into Newcastle. I'll get you into Sydney, get you into Melbourne. And I said, oh, yeah, but Paul, I really, I mean, Greg, I really want to go back there. Um, and in the end, obviously I went, but I, I was I was reluctant because, you know, Greg was waving some carrots and I was keen to progress in the game, but I really wanted to go back to Perth. And so I'd been in contact with Keith Fowler, who said to me, uh, guess what? They want a breakfast guy over there um, because Paul Redmond's coming off breakfast. Um, so that was that. But I'd already worked with Paul uh, at the Eagle because he and Mike Parks had the we're doing the comedy bits of the Eagle at the time, so I'd worked with Paul uh, prior to that. Everybody's talking about the all-new 92.9. Yeah, no, I really enjoy it. It's great fun. I love the music. I love how Zara gives the guys with a stick. <laughs> They're a great team. The music this year is fantastic. Bernie is such a bloke. This is the He's a moron, but he's a lovely moron. It's just fun. They all seem to get on really well. Oh, it's such a the boot. Oh, oh, my God. <laughs> Wake up to Zara, Troy and Bernie on the all-new 92.9. Nine. I know that's going to be in there <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> now, the team eventually did break up with Jane and Gary heading to 96FM and you working with Zara and Troy. Firstly, what was it like going head-to-head with ex-colleagues and also, to trying to create chemistry with a brand-new team? Um, head-to-head with ex-colleagues wasn't a, wasn't a drama. Um, Gary and I are still mates today. Jane and I are still mates today. Uh, I can't say the same for Z and T. That was a difficult time. I remember Greg Smith sat me down one day and he said, these are the best people not working on Capital Radio, pardon me, right now. And I said, well, I've heard them and I don't, I don't, I don't agree. Um, but, you know, that, that's your opinion and you're the boss. And Gary Roberts felt the same, that uh, they, should, they should be signed up. Um, it, it, you know, it was, it, was, it was politically awkward because they were married and they were a team and I was the other guy and it was very hard to be part of that team. And, uh, I, I never really felt like we gelled. We rated okay. But after the first book, we lost 50% of the audience. And so a lot of alarm bells went off, but they hung one of them for about three years. But, um, Look, uh, with respect to them uh, and their talents, uh, it, it wasn't really my style. And I remember thinking at the time that maybe this isn't the business uh, that I want to be staying in much longer. It, it just it didn't really work for me. And because we lost ratings so badly in the start and never really got them back, I, you know, I did become resentful, I feel. Mm. Bernie, Australia and the world was rocked in 2002 with the horrendous Bali bombings. And for some reason, the radio station seemed like a safe place for many who had connections with that tragedy. 
Must have been a tough time in Perth and at the radio station too. So what do you recall of that time? Oh, my God. Uh, Mark Reddings, the wonderful Mark Reddings, um, whose uh, who's dad used to read news on the Gold Coast, Rob Reddings. Um, uh, Mark was a sports guy at nine, and he was across the road when the the, the, fir- the first bomb went off in that club, and he called me on air on the Sunday morning, I think it was, and he, he was yelling. And I said, mate, I can, I, I can hear you. He said, I can't hear you too good, mate. I can't hear anything right now because my hearing's really, really gone back. And so we talked on air about what had happened um, and that, you know, members of the Kingsley Football Club had been killed. Uh, Peter Hughes, who I'm still friends with today, who's a roofer but was connected with that uh, organisation to some degree as well, um, you know, was in touch with us. Uh, there were, it, it was very close to home because, as you may know, Bali is closer than Sydney to Perth, and uh, and it is a a real, uh, it's a backyard for Perth people. So it was a whole bunch of connections there from that 199 that, uh, that perished. And I look, it, it was very very moving. We did what we could without appearing to be self promoting at all but it was hard because we stuck our name on everything but we wanted to help we all all we did was sit around and say how can we make this an easy transition for kingsley you know, football club to come back together again uh you know and 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 uh, and get the support they need and you know and we we spoke with people on air that were professional uh psychiatrists and psychologists and stuff about the issues and stuff like that and uh, but really it was it, it, it really transfixed the station for some time and was a huge part. And it was honoured yearly, uh, and I guess still is to this day, uh, by uh, 92.9 or Triple M now, um, you know, as a we will never forget. It was it was a 9-11-esque type of reaction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just amazing. Now, Perth was your longest tour of duty, 11 years. What made the place so special? It's a beautiful place to live. It's it's so pretty. It's so youthful, energetic. Everyone's good looking. I, I, I did not. I stood out like a like dogs balls there because I, I'm not. I'm going to face like a head full of assholes. But it's like the place was just young and energetic. My family that grew up over there were healthy and surfy, and it had a sophistication about it that, say, Adelaide didn't have, and it didn't have that kind of, because Adelaide's a little bit like, uh, you know, there's a rod up my bum kind of thing, as opposed to Perth. Perth is very cash, and it's super friendly. It was impossibly friendly. I would find people go out of their way to assist you, and I know that those sorts those sorts of incidents, uh, incidences occurred without their knowledge of me being a radio person just me being a regular dude that arrived from the East. And without that sort of like, oh, you're from Melbourne, are you? You know, you would get this really great support. It's it, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And my wife and I are talking about, you know, selling up our property here and moving back there um, in the next couple of years because it was just so lovely. Okay, a couple of quick questions to finish off with. On air, is Bernie Britton best suited as a solo performer or part of a team? Um, he's better off being part, being part of a team. I will, I will, you know, in recent times I've been working at 3BA doing fill-in and 
I'll do a piece on air. I'll, I'll just say something silly and I'll go and I'll reference that someone's in the studio with me. You know, I'll kind of go, uh, well, isn't that true? That's true, is it? I'm being told that's not true. Um, let, let's go to this now, you know, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I love being able to bounce off somebody. It gives me great energy. Uh, you know, as I said, I was with Dixie last night uh, in Melbourne and we, we had a lovely dinner and, uh, and and we sit there and we do that all the time, bounce off each other. Um, Steve Bedwell and I do the same. I mean, he was a Triple M uh, breakfast host for some time, you know, and I, I get on the phone with him. And it's an hour has gone by and we're laughing our heads off. Steve Woods and I are the same. Steve and I have known for each other for 40 years. He replaced me at 3AK in production and, um, you know, and then came to 3SR and came to 3AK. And uh, and, and we have a great rapport. Um, I really, really love doing it with someone. Doing it solo meant that I would have to pre-record things. When I worked in Adelaide, I used to impersonate Keith. Keith Martin, who was the weather guy at Channel 10, and and I would call up Keith on air. In other words, pre-recorded, I talked to myself, you know. And so I would have those sort of goofy phone calls. Um, and then he would do the weather for me as me, as it were. And uh, and so, yeah, 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 I, I'm definitely better suited with someone, Paul, yeah. Now, you were very much part of a number of Oz stereo stations across Australia and working for the father of FM broadcasting in Australia, Paul Thompson, so what was he like and how influential was he in the Australian media landscape? He's so highly regarded and such a sweet, caring guy. Look, I, he would come in on a Sunday. Um, at, at one stage, he was awarded by Qantas the most for, for, the, for the person that flew the most in the country. Uh, unbelievable, but true. And so he would come in on a Sunday and he'd do, some, he'd do a little bit of work in his office and then he would go to the the airport and do his week of, you know, they just bought today FM in Sydney and things of this nature, you know, so they were busy, busy, busy. Um, and Paul always had time. And I would, I'd do six to ten on a Sunday morning and I'd stick my head in at about 9.15 and kind of go, oh, Paul, have you got just a couple of minutes? Oh, yeah, come in, no worries. And so I'd come in after 10 o'clock, and you do an air check with me. I mean, like, what a great guy. And I, you know, and I've seen him, go off. I mean, when I first got there, I was working uh, with Grant Cameron, uh, replacing Vinny on breakfast. And I remember the eight o'clock news with uh, Kay Mathewson, uh, Umke, we used to call it, Umke Mathewson. Uh, uh, Kay Mathewson came on and she read the news. We interrupted every story, Paul, because I had a line. I had a line. Oh, that's great. But, you know, well, Bob Hawke, you know, well, hang on, what are you talking about there? Uh, hang on, Kay, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And anyway, Paul came and gathered us up with Phil Dowse, who was the PD. Actually, Phil came and got me and said, Paul wants to see you guys in his, his office. And he's got the tape and he plays the thing. He's sitting back in his chair and he plays the, the 8 o'clock news all the way through. And it, it, it finished at about 9 past 8. And he went, I can see people turning off in their fucking droves. I can't believe this. Why would you interrupt the news? Why would you? And that was the first time I was like, geez, Paul's angry. I didn't know Paul got angry. Paul's angry, and you know he he was he was pissed off with us because we 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 we'd stuffed up the news as far as he was concerned. I just thought I was doing a radio show that was fully involved with everybody, and everybody had to have a thing to say. And how long it took was how long it took, and some of the stuff was funny. But if you were trying to listen to the news as a listener, you'd be like, oh, "For Christ's sake, shut up!" You know. 
So that was his beef. But I broke up with my wife, my first wife, and I had done six to ten Sunday mornings, same scenario, Paul's the office. I just stuck my head and I said, how are you? And he said, oh, yeah, how are you going? I said, I, he said, I understand you. Are you and uh, your wife? Yeah, separated. And I sat down chat and I started to cry. You know, and I, and he was like, oh, take it easy, take it easy. And he, and he, and he cracked it. So tissues, just, uh, what's making you so upset about that? And I thought, God, he's got, a, he's got a flight in an hour, you know, and he's got this time. And he, he had just a wonderful, wonderful nature. And I think that, you know, he was the he was the he was the the the, the grandfather, if you will, or the godfather of, of research in Australian radio. He was, you know, he he was the guy that steered it in the right direction. And he did it with such grace and elegance and uh sophistication that, you know, you couldn't help but want to be on the Paul Thompson train. You know, it just was such he was such a great guy, is such a great guy. Yeah, good one. Now, I've spoken to both Sean Cosgrove and Alan McGurvin about this one. You know, the good old gotcha, crazy calls, whatever you want to call them, were a staple of many breakfast programs, and you were a master of them. But I suppose the whole industry was stopped in its tracks in December 2012 with Mel Gregg and Michael Christian's unfortunate royal prank. But in your case, you had pulled the pin on pranks a number of years beforehand. Yes, um, I did. And look, I had a... I had pressure from um, a boss uh, at the time who was the PD at uh, 92.9, Sean Goff, who was saying, you've got to get more out of them. There's got to be more at risk. There's got to be more danger. There's got to be more palpable, you know, reaction. And so, look, I'll tell you, I had a phone call one day and I'm shaking, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I had a phone call one day, this girl that I knew, Knew a girl who was a cousin who bought a BMW. Uh, she loved, she always wanted a BMW. She's a young kid, you know. And I phoned her from the credit company and I said, "Look, uh, it appears that um, you know well, I've got the pretend computer going and all sorts. It appears that the um, the, the the previous uh, owner of the vehicle never made a payment on the car. Uh, so the the full uh, amount of the vehicle, uh, as well as the amount you've paid, is still due." So we would need twenty six thousand dollars out of you, uh, as you and and she was devastated. And Paul, she said, "Well, I might as well kill myself and hung up." And I didn't get a great sense from the station that they were doing interested in doing anything but covering their asses. And the only thing that I could think of at the time was, and I say covering their asses allegedly, but it was how it was put to me. Um, you know, if you've got the emails, so our asses are covered, just make sure we get our ass. I said, Let, let's not worry about my ass being covered. Let's see if we can find her and see that she's okay. Ultimately, she was found about an hour and a half later and she was cowering in a cupboard in her workplace. And that was it for me. That was it. There's no more. There's no more of these crazy calls. So I wasn't surprised by Mel Grigg and a sweet kid. Mel's a lovely, lovely, lovely kid. And for that to have happened to her. And for and for mine, Paul, the call she made was so dodgy and was so basic. And like, you know, I am the queen and I'm calling because I wish to speak to my son. And the bird bought it. And I thought, come on, God, I didn't even, you know, every anybody and everybody would go, how many calls have you had pretend to be the queen? You know, 
So I just thought it was it, it was such a lame ass call, but the reaction obviously was the uh, was a death of somebody, which was just horrible. And I look as I described with the 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 last with the BMW, who I still my heart still goes out to. I, I you know to have caused something like that. I don't think I could have gone on, Paul. I don't think I could have gone on. So yeah, we we ended them there and then. Okay, so after years in Perth, you head to the US for a number of years. Now, was this part of the prenup with Kim, or were there opportunities that you wanted to explore? Yeah, prenup's a good way to, way to put it. It was prenuppy. Um, we left earlier than we thought. I left radio in two thousand six full time. We didn't plan on leaving that early, um, but they the the station blew up my breakfast show, and uh, and so I was left to do these gross crazy calls full time and I, I you know as I say that incident occurred it was like uh, I'm out so I got paid out and we left um, so we went to uh, uh, the US there and, and you know I was very really close with Kim's mum who's passed away uh, 2010 but she, she was so lovely and her family are great and I love hanging out with them all um, and it was a, it was a change of scenery and we <clears throat> due to my wife's brilliant bookkeeping and uh, you know uh, an amazing sense of finances. We had enough dough to go there, sold the house in Perth and moved there. And we, I'd acquired a bit of real estate in the time I was there, Paul, because we, I was paid so well uh, in the years I was there that we were able to buy a few places and we moved them all just as Perth went peak, you know. And so um, even now, the, 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 it hasn't returned to that peak again. It's just sort of petered out a little bit. It hasn't gone over that peak, if you will. And so uh, we were there during that time, and you know, it, it was it, it was perfect for us because we went to a we went to a, a a down market in the US with the global financial crisis and paid cash for a house. You know, so we were very very lucky, very lucky. And so yeah, I loved it. But we I didn't work there at all. I did a couple of voiceovers when I was over there. Did a few things back in Australia. I was offered. Kim kept tabs. She told me the other night when we were talking about this upcoming, she said, you know, you were, off, you were offered 13 times to come back to Australia while we were there. I was like, no, 13? Are you sure? I marked them all down. You're over here. So, you know, I still had opportunities to come back, which I turned down. Um, and, uh, and, you know, some I regret, some I don't. Um, but in the end, uh, you can't have regrets. But I, I do, uh, I, I, I really, really did enjoy it over there. We had a lot of fun. Um, and I think we came to the conclusion that when uh, Trump was made president that it might be time to go back home. Finally, Bernie, as the master of voices, is there one particular favourite that stands out from the rest? Master of voices? Well, you know, for many, many years, Paul, I've done a Bert Newton, and I enjoy doing Bert for all the time I've done him. I'll call John Deeks and I'll say, John, it's Bert Newton calling. How are you on the show now? Here's Marianne Van Gorsler. And, you know, and Bert, uh, I did get to know at Channel 9 back in the day. Um, and uh, he was a, uh, a very nice to me. He was always very friendly. Uh, Don Lane, all these people that you got to meet back in the day there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I think he was he was my favourite uh, that I would do. I also do, also do a day meeting with Charlie. I do a day meeting and I... 
In the 80s, I did Jamie in the commercials, Paul, and I would do those voices, and I'd just call myself the Dame on a commercial. And one day, Barry Michaels, the late great, my agent, called me and said, come in, I've got something to show you. I went in, he had a note from the lawyers of Barry Humphreys. And it said, not only will we sue you for what you made, but we'll sue you for everything we could have made. Don't do this again. That's the end of Dame on the radio. So I was, you know, I because I had done, I had done serious ads like a shower cleaning shower. Oh God, what was it called? Clean shower or something like that. Just one spray of possums and it's clean as a possum. <laughs> I mean, the, the producers who would be making it and stuff, the agency and stuff, would go, "This is fucking astounding. This sounds exactly like it." And I go, "Oh yeah, what are you going to do? You know, I'm, I'm fabulous at everything." You know, but I, I, I love doing Dame, love doing Bert, um, and there are many, but. I must say, when I first started on air, one that I, you know, Peter Harrison was my was my hero, and I first started on at, at, at 3SR in Shepparton in 83, and Graham Spicer was the PD, and I'd been on air about two weeks, and he came, he came and said, he used to smoke a pipe, and go, Sunshine, come here, come here, come here, come here. Mate, um, you're not Peter Harrison. And, I, and I'd be like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. How could I not be Peter Harrison? I sound like Peter. You know, and he said, Mate, you're sounding like Peter on air. You just be yourself. Just be yourself. And I didn't really realise, but I was actually going like that when I would talk and I would say stuff that Harrow would say. You know, one of the great lines from Harrow was, um, as one wall said to the other, I can't fight this ceiling anymore. Ario Speedwagon and Hot Hit 3X1. And so, you know, I was trying to mimic him. So I remember um, Graham pulling me up on, on that at the time. Uh, so, yeah, my favourite... Uh, I still do Harrow at Harrow, which is great because <laughs> Harrow would do this thing where he would do two time calls in a break. Okay, so he'd come out and go, Hot Air 3XY, 18 to 9, fine and sunny from Melbourne today, around 24 degrees, right now 18, still 18 to 9. And Poco, Peter O'Callaghan, would do this thing where he would pretend to be grabbing a, a minute hand and going, still 18 to 9, still 18 to 9, you know, <laughs> just stupid shit. <laughs> So uh, I, I still, when I still see Peter, I go, Harrow, and he go, don't you start on me. Don't you start on me with that shit, you know. And so, yeah, so uh, great, great guys. Great guys, yeah. Okay, Bernie, time now for a dozen or so questions we ask all our guests. The first one being, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died? I was working for Leo's Shop for Men, Men's Land in East Ringwood. It was 1980. I was 16 and I had a radio. I was serving a customer, I believe, and I heard the radio back that John Lennon's been shot and it was Colin Denneman on 3XY. And I remember going into Leo Levy, who was the owner of the shop, and saying, John Lennon's dead. And he went, what? And so we both came outside and this lady uh, who was in the shop listening said, uh, John Lennon's been shot. So, yeah, I was at Leo's menswear in, uh, as, as, a, as a sales assistant. The last concert ticket you paid for? Fleetwood Mac. Pardon me. Fleetwood Mac at uh, the Forum at Inglewood in LA. Okay. Is there a concert act that you regret never seeing? Oh, well, Midnight Oil. I... I had never seen Midnight Oil, and 
I'm a big, big fan, and I a friend of mine, Jason Stabley, who works over at Gold, wonderful, wonderful guy, wonderful friend. He had tickets, and he didn't realise that I hadn't never seen them, and he saw their last show. Um, I believe they've done their last show. You never know with these guys. They say the last show, they'll probably do another one soon. But if they do another one soon, I want to see them because the band is astonishing. I used to think they were great in the 80s, but I really, really love them now, and I'm a, a huge, huge fan. Bernie, a word that you had most trouble pronouncing on air. <clears throat> Pardon me. Community. Community. If I say it isolated, community. I can say it. But when I say it in a sentence, I've got to get the T out because it comes out community. Commu community. Community. It's just something that won't come. Ever an incident on air that had you thinking you might get those don't come Monday orders? Yeah, forget it. I'm on air about two weeks in Shepparton. Um... In the studio, you would have gold picked out for you, gold or recurrence, depending on the show you're on. And on, on my shows, my 7 to midnight shows, 7 to 1am, there would be singles in an elastic band with 7 to 1am in them. And they would, you know, uh, you know, they'd be just singles from the 70s and 70s and very early 80s. And I'd, I'd play them in the appropriate spots on my show. And then behind me was a rack that had all the future shows. And this is Friday night. And so Monday, Breakfast was there, 5 to 9, which is Harry Wilde's show. And the first song, which was a recurrent at the time, was Little Red Corvette by Prince. It's 5 to 1. And I thought, oh, grab the single, queued it up, chucked it on. Good night, everyone. 1263 SR, closing transmission real soon. Little Red Corvette. Played the song. Hotline goes. I'm like, hotline? Who's ringing the hotline at this hour? I could, Hello? Okay. Bernie. Spice. Graham Spice. Picking your own gold now, mate. Oh, no, I, is it, yeah, we'll discuss your future with the company Monday. Hello? Hello? Hung up. Now, I freaked out. I thought, this is it. I'm done. So I rang a mate of mine who was a policeman in Melbourne. I said, how hard is it to become a copper? He said, well, and then I, I knew a guy in, in uh, Shepparton that sold real estate. And I saw him on the Saturday morning and I went to, I think I'm about to get the arse. He said, what about, what about? I said, oh, I played the wrong song. He's like, huh. uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. What sort of money do you make? He said, oh, I made 40 grand last year. And I was like, oh, 40 grand, Jesus. So, but the only person was Warren Chesser, the farmer, the dairy farmer. He said, mate, are you telling me you're going to get the arse for playing a song? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to give me the arse on Monday morning. He said, my future's going to be discussed on Monday morning. He said, no. Nah. He won't give me the arse, he's just messing with you. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. And I was still, brrr, 9 o'clock Monday morning, walked into his office. Sunshine, don't ever fuck with my goal. Have a good day. That was it. Skyhooks or Sherbert? Sherbert. Sherbert by a country mile because, because they were sophisticated. There was a guy called Eddie... Leonotti, I think his name was, who was an American producer who came out and produced the song written by uh, Greg from the band called Women in Uniform. And it's where Skyhooks goes from this tinny sound, sort of unproduced. I mean, you can't play live on street now. You can't play ball when calling now because they're not meaty enough for air. And I think that the great Stephen Cummings in sports might have suffered from this as well. There was not enough meat on those sandwiches of song 
to give them sophistication. Always sherbet, always had, you know, life, uh, how's that? How's that? If you put that on now, in my opinion, it would hold up. It's 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 all about production. And I always thought that Skyhook sounded like they were recorded in someone's basement. I still love them. I thought they were great. And actually, a great, Shelley Stewart is a, a, was a lovely, lovely fellow, and I knew Red Simons very well too, but he just wasn't sophisticated enough for me. Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Well, only because the Beatles busted up and the Stones are still together. And I would say the Stones because I liked, I liked the Naughty Boy sound more than I liked the uh, Dear Prudence kind of vibe or the, um, the uh, that's, that's not them, is it? Yeah, hang on. Yeah. Was that, was that Beatles, Dear Prudence? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Strawberry Fields Forever, all that, which was, was just lovely and brilliantly made. And, of course, the Sgt Pepper's album is mind-blowing, Rubber Soul, mind-blowing. But songs like Sympathy for the Devil, and, um, you know, uh, Tumbling Dice and uh, Midnight Rambler and stuff for me. I-, I like that sound. I like that sound better. Good rock and roll, you know. Absolutely. Now, is there a most treasured piece of memorabilia from your early radio days that you keep close to your heart there, Bernie? Well, Paul, I didn't keep anything as it were. Um, as in my most treasured mem- memories would be hearing myself back on the wireless all those years ago, which I don't have. But in recent times, an ex-girlfriend of mine contacted me via Facebook Messenger, Judy, my, uh, my uh, dear ex-girlfriend, and she said, I've got Maxwell, Max L, Maxwell, uh, C120s, uh, cassettes of you on 3SR, 3UZ, and 3AK. Are you interested in them? And I'm like, am I? Are you serious? And she said, I've even got the one where Steve Woods farewells you on 3SR Shepherd in 86. And I'm like... I didn't know that happened. I had no recollection of that happening. So they are treasured memories now. Hey, thank goodness for the old girlfriends, eh? Biggest news story that broke while you were on air. Yes. Look, I think, obviously, the Bali bombing is it, it, it was massive and 9-11 was massive. I think the one of the biggest ones was one that didn't, didn't really happen. It was in 1994 when I was at SAFM, I was doing Drive, and... John Williams was the news director, you know, a staunch, uh, you know, quite a journalist, and, you know, very uh, hardworking and very precise kind of guy. Buzzed me down the line. He said, to, Bernie, I need to come up. Uh, the Queen Mother has died. Oh, okay, no worries. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll finish this song, which was Cold Chisel, whatever. And, and then you come out the back of the concert. Okay, I'll be right up. Okay, no worries. So Cold Chisel fades out. And, and he said, you want to play the theme? He said, no, no, just, just go straight in. So I went, okay. And uh, Paul, uh, uh, is from the uh, it come from sorry um, John Williams is from the studio uh, from the new studio John Lucky what he got for us uh, Bernie it's not good news the Queen Mother has passed away she was aged uh, eighty four and uh, the uh, at the moment uh, there's no other word from uh, Buckingham Palace uh, as to uh, da, 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 da. more news at eleven or whatever yeah, more news at four or whatever it was <clears throat> he went away and about sixty seconds later he went I need to come back up what happened. She's not dead. <laughs> Your kid, he said, no, because 2UE had made a tribute tape to her just on the off chance that she ever did die, 
and sent it, because I think she was in ill health at the time, and sent it around the network. And he overheard it in the newsroom and thought it was real. And so that was pretty <laughs> To see John red-faced and embarrassed over that was bloody hilarious because he was so hot on all the time. Bernie, is there a moment that someone walked into your studio and you were suddenly starstruck? Oh, boy. Well, I'll say that Roger Daltrey, I think, was was massive, was was just a, an incredible moment. Um, but he wasn't in the studio. He was on the phone. Uh, in the studio sense, he was promoting a movie uh, called Evil Angels that he was in with Meryl Streep, and it was a story of uh, the lady, the missing baby, um, uh, the dingo's got my baby. Um, Zaria Chamberlain. Thank you. And so... It was Sam Neill. And I was a huge fan because I'd seen The Omen some years before and that it wasn't the best Omen movie, The Omen 3, but he was such a great, vicious, mean bastard in that. And to find this sophisticated, calm, cool New Zealander came into the studio, we hit it off. It's at 4BK. Um, and we did one break and his promotions person came in and said, okay, well, just need to wrap up pretty soon for Sam. And he said, oh, do you mind if I stay for a little bit longer? And she went, oh, no, that's okay. So he stayed for the hour and he took calls and stuff and it was fantastic. And right at the end he said, I have just done a movie with an Australian actress that's going to be huge in my opinion. It's called Dead Calm and she is Nicole Kidman. And I was like, oh, wow, Nicole Kidman. And guess what? I knew Nicole Kidman because I knew that she was in the film clip Bop Girl. Pat Wilson's Bop Girl dancing on the beach. That's Nicole Kidman. And I I had known the name, and I think she'd done BMX Bandits or something else as well, but she's, he said, this is the future. She's fantastic. So Sam Neill, uh, bloody amazing, bloody brilliant. But let me just take you back to Channel 9. When I was at 9, you know, I knew Daryl Summers because Daryl and I, Daryl did a night show for a while, and when I was the cart boy, we shared the same cottage on the Channel 9 lot. <laughs> Excuse me. And so, um, uh, you know, Daryl and I, hi, Daryl, how are you? He came down the hallway with Sliced Alone one day and I was coming the other way and I had a cart, you know, and I'm walking up and he goes, Bernie, you, you met Sliced Alone? I'm like, oh, 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 but that was mind-blowing. So there were people like that all the time. Spike Milligan, I met Spike Milligan at Channel 9 and, uh, you know, just these uh, amazing, uh, you know, world-renowned artists. Uh, some have even escaped my my uh, memory now, but um, it, that was that was a real highlight for me. That was great. Channel 9 was awesome for that. Hey, good stuff. Best words of advice from a program manager? Besides, of course, don't try to sound like Harrow. <laughs> I... <laughs> Look, I've got one ear, which I which I, I made reference to because Graham Spicer uh, did that business with me with regards to with the, regards to hello. You know, I was doing the hello on air, and so he told me to stop doing that. And he said, "Mate, mate, 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 you've got to calm down. You're too fast." And he said, "Remember, remember, the only person in a hurry is you." Because I would get into a break, and I go, "Got to get out of the break. Got to get out of the break. Got to get out of the break." I don't have to get out of the break that quick. I can have a moment and a great. 
person. He's an artist for being on air. Rob McCasker, who's now working at Six IX in Perth, he had this great habit. You know, he would be on air and he'd have the weather. He'd have a you know copy of the weather and he'd kind of go, uh, "G'day, it's Rob McCasker." Classic, it's 4BK, and uh, I'll tell you, this weather, I mean, have a look at this. This is, it's going to be just beautiful. It's 30, it's just great, going to be great. Next couple of days, really, really. And I thought, oh, my God, that's, you can just take your time. You can just cruise through. And so Rob sort of showed me that. But, yeah, definitely the best advice ever was remember, it's only you that's in a hurry. I thought that was a great line. The other one was John Blackman, which was, you got nothing to say, shut your fucking mouth. Well, there you go. Okay, finally, Bernie, two albums that you would consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years. Um, of my teenage years? Mm. Ooh. Well, I wasn't a teenager, but they remained so in my teenage years, but it was Dark Side of the Moon and Led Zeppelin Four. I think they still today play a big role. In my teenage years, oh, boy. Eagles Live was wild. Steve Woods introduced me to Eagles Live and I just fell in love with the Eagles all over again with that album, double album. Uh, and I guess the Oils, uh, 10.98765, uh, a little bit later on in my life. But, yeah, the Oils predominantly in that period as well. But, yeah, Eagles Live album, fantastic. The real influence was when I was a young boy <clears throat> that carried into my teens, which was led to my father went to my brother one day and he used to call me the infant. And he said, you gave my brother 10 bucks. He said, go and get you you and the infant something for Christmas. So he went and got Led Zeppelin 4 and Dark Moon, which meant nothing to me in my tender years. Um, <clears throat> but they were, and we, basically he bought them for himself. But, you know, we I, I could listen to them as well. And that really was where I started to go, Music is really, really cool. This is because, particularly with Floyd, because of the conceptual uh, album uh, sense of Dark Side of the Moon, just carries you and carries you and carries you and emote, just great emotion and beautiful sounds. So, yeah, those two for sure. Hey, Bernie, I've just had a look at the clock on the wall. Not sure where the time has gone, but it's been fantastic talking to you and, of course, all your friends. Some great stories, great memories to go with a great career. Thanks for your time. I've enjoyed it, Possum. I've had a lovely time. And you're a delightful man. Not as sophisticated as I like, but you're a nice guy. No, thank you, Paul. It's been wonderful. Uh, I'm honoured to be part of it. I'm honoured to be among the uh, the great celebs that you've already interviewed uh, to date. And uh, I hope Greg Smith said nothing bad about me. No, not at all. All positive. Bernie Britton and friends on Pilots of the Airwaves. <laughs>